0: Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, I'm your host, and this is a show where nearly each episode we look at a random Superman and Batman story from throughout the years. This episode, we are back in the pages of World's Finest Comics, the title that gave the pairing their famous nickname – But also where the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight teamed up in just about every issue for more than 30 years. Before I tell you what we're covering this episode though, I want to give you a heads up to be sure to stick around to the very end of the show. As I'll be making an announcement about a special series of episodes that will be kicking off next time. So if you are a person who tunes out after the story talk, you might want to be sure to stick around this time. And and really every episode, because, you know, come on, we have fun here for the entire show, not just the story part, but definitely for this episode. So this time out, as I said, we are back in the pages of World's Finest Comics for a look at issue number 109. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released on or around March 3rd, 1960. The issue was edited by Jack Schiff. And it's got a May 1960 cover date and 32 pages for the price of 10 cents. Our cover is by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay and shows Robin watching on as Batman, hovering in midair, throws a huge stone pillar at Superman, and it shatters off the Man of Steel's invulnerable chest. A thought balloon from Robin gives us more clue about the plot, as does the cover's title, The Bewitched Batman. And it's an okay cover, I guess. Uh, I I really don't have strong feelings one way or the other. Um, covers around this time, well, covers and stories, tended to go one of two directions. They either pitted Superman and Batman against one another, or they had Superman and Batman confronted by some strange alien entity. And I think we can all guess which direction this story is going to go. But artistically, it's... Well rendered. I mean, it's Kurt Swan. Come on, and it has the potential to grab the reader's eye and draw them in. So it definitely works. Turning inside, our 12-page story was written by Jerry Coleman, and while this is the second Jerry Coleman story we've had on the show, the other being Episode 19's "Captive of the Space Globes," which came a little a little less than a year after this, this story, in order of publication is only the second story written by Coleman in his near two-year run as the title's regular writer. But while Coleman was still a relative newcomer to the title, the art is by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay, two men who certainly are no stranger to the title or the characters or regular listeners of this show. Fangin the Sorcerer died 800 years ago, yet his strange enchantment reached through the centuries, ...to strike at Batman. Did Superman and Robin help... ...or make matters worse when they came to his aid... ...with a daring and dangerous plan? See for yourself when you read... ...The Bewitched Batman. In Metropolis, Clark Kent... ...gets an emergency call from Dick Grayson... ...pleading for help. When Superman arrives at the Batcave... ...he finds Batman chained to the wall. And after a few minutes of awkward silence... Robin explains that while on a trip to England, he and Batman had split up for a little R&R. When they meet again, Batman was raving about needing to obey Fangan the Sorcerer or die. Robin tackled Batman, knocking him out in the process, and brought him back to Gotham for help. Superman researches and discovers that Fangan lived nearly 800 years ago. He tries to find out what happened from Batman... But the Dark Knight only says something about a secret cave and babbles on about needing to conquer a dragon lest he die. Robin quickly whispers a plan to Superman, and the Man of Steel agrees to help his friends. Superman then flies the dynamic duo to the Fortress of Solitude and exposes Batman to a special device that grants the Dark Knight powers rival to his own. Now, one might wonder the wisdom of granting superpowers to a man who clearly isn't in his right mind, or where Superman got this amazing device, or why he's never used it before. But we don't have time to ponder any of these things as Superman then flies into space, soon returning with a dragon-like creature that he found on another planet after studying hundreds of solar systems. That's right, folks. We're only on page four, and we've got Crazy Batman, Superpower Giving Rays, and alien space dragons. Zack Snyder, your move. Back into the story, Batman unleashes a bat fury of bat punches on the creature, easily taking it out in a mere three panels. Superman leaves to take the abused creature back home, and Robin asks Batman if he can remember what happened now that his task is complete. Batman begins to tell a story, but abruptly flies off, saying he must complete a second task for Fangen. When Superman returns, he and Robin catch up with Batman in downtown Gotham City, wearing a jester's cap and offering to do services for Dumpy Evans. The petty crook tells Batman to, quote, go fight City Hall, unquote, and much to the surprise of Evans and our other heroes, Batman rockets off and is soon found punching the City Hall building. Superman asks just what the heck he's doing and Batman replies he's following Fangen's second command in that he must dress like a jester because a grown man wearing spandex and dressing like a bat isn't silly enough and offer his services to anyone he meets doing whatever they ask for one hour before Superman can say hey I want you to stop Batman flies off and spends a couple pages doing whatever people tell him including nearly revealing the secret identities of himself, Robin, and Superman, while Superman plays cleanup. Basically, it's three pages of hijinks ensue, but not really critical to the overall plot. So, once the hour passes, Batman returns to normal and explains that, while exploring, he found a cave. As he entered, a bottle crashed to the ground, releasing a strange mist, and when the mist cleared, he saw Fangin's commands written on the wall and felt compelled to obey them. Just then, a random passerby tells Superman about a random forest fire in a random village. Since Batman still has his powers, Superman suggests that they fight it together. But Batman reveals he must carry out Fangin's third command, to fight and defeat the world's strongest man. Despite the raging fire and lives at risk, The Man of Steel and the Dark Knight clash in mid-air combat. Batman smashes a concrete pillar off Superman's invulnerable chest and then uses an uprooted tree as a baseball bat. The two heroes lock arms, grappling high above the city, with neither able to defeat the other until Batman uses a bat spin to hurl Superman into the stratosphere. And with that, having overpowered the Man of Steel and fulfilled Fangin's command, Batman snaps out of his crazed state. Realizing lives are still at risk in the fire, Batman speeds off and is able to draw water from a nearby river to douse the flames. All while being creepily watched by Superman, who thinks to himself how he let himself be hurled into space, hoping that it would bring Batman to his senses. And later, back at the Batcave, Superman and Batman celebrate. And don't forget Robin! <sighs> yes, the world's finest heroes, Superman and Batman, and Robin... Celebrate their victory. Superman reveals he discovered an ancient scroll written by Fangen that tells how the booby trap in the cave was set for a specific night. Unfortunately, Fangen died before he could lure the knight there, and it remained for nearly eight centuries until Batman found it. And mystery solved, Batman thanks his fellow heroes, saying the trap could have been fatal if it weren't for his super friends. The end. So basically, the takeaway here is that Batman was the victim of an 800-year-old episode of punk m- Minus the Ashton Kutcher. And, and Punk'd, I think, actually would have been a lot better of a television show 800 years before they actually invented television. But kidding aside, I enjoyed this one for the most part. Um, I'll just get it out of the way. The end, the resolution with this basically being... Uh, A forgotten prank that Batman just kind of stumbled into was a letdown. Uh, It it was kind of weak, and I would have liked there to have been more than it just being what basically amounts to a a coincidental accident. And, uh, you you know, there are some other minor issues here and there within the story, but nothing significant. And overall, I thought this one was really entertaining. I really liked the idea of Superman and Robin teaming up and working together to help save Batman. Batman is Superman's best friend, at least in this era. And despite references to, you know, aunts and uncles or whatever, he's the closest thing that Robin has to family. Aside from Alfred, Batman is the only person for either character where there are absolutely no secrets. Uh, He knows both of their secret identities. He is like I said, either family or best friend to both characters. So there's a real connection there. And I can see them being deeply concerned when he falls into peril like this. Of the three, he's the one that, when he does fall into trouble, it causes the most emotional reaction from the other characters in the book. And really from the readers as well, because even though Robin often plays as big a part in these stories as Superman or Batman... At the end of the day, he's still a sidekick. I mean, the the book is about Superman and Batman. And Superman is, well, Superman. It's a lot easier to take out Batman on a physical level or or at least create the the belief that he's going to be taken out like that. And on the subject of Robin, I appreciate the nod at the beginning of the story to Dick's circus background as he... um, when when they were in England and by the way they were in England for some sort of uh, international police conference which I really got a smile out of and it reminded me of something that you would see on the uh, the 66 batman series but anyway while they were were in England they split up and batman went to explore the caves while robin went to the circus so that was nice and you know and again we have robin in in the story, again, we have Robin being shown as a very smart and competent hero. Um, this isn't the impetuous kid of the Batman TV series that always seems to need Batman to be uh, tutoring or correcting him or, or telling him to drink his milk. Um, while he's still the sidekick to Batman, Robin can take care of things himself, too. Um, when Batman showed up crazed and rambling about dragons and wizards, he knew the best thing to do was to get him back home, so he knocked him out and flew him home. He called in Superman for help, sure, but sometimes part of maturity and wisdom is knowing when to ask for help. And later, too, it's it's also Robin's idea, as, as ludicrous as it might be, to give Batman powers and actually have him fight a dragon, hoping that would snap him out of it. So, you know... I like that Robin is actually a part of these stories and not just the sidekick, dead weight. Um, I haven't read a lot of these stories in a few years, but thinking back to how I remember feeling about them when I originally read them, I feel like I was continually annoyed by Robin's presence. But so far, he's, you know, f- for the most part, by and large, he's not been that bad. And I like that when he does show up, he is given this level of competence and not treated like the, the stereotypical dumb kid, or, or like I said, you know, in the Batman 66 TV series, where it seems like every episode Batman has to tell Robin to, you know, calm down or drink his milk or to, to study his lessons or whatever. And that's not me bashing the 66 TV series. It's very possible I'm misremembering that too. Uh, the only thing I've seen from that, one of the only things I've seen from that in recent years is the movie. So there you go. But it, I don't know it just seems like my memories of that show had Robin constantly doing not not being bumbling, but like like Batman was always the, you know, well, remember to study your lessons, Robin, and, and that kind of thing. But anyway, getting back to the story. We get to the scene with Batman wearing the Jester's cap, which was referenced in the composite Superman story Bob Fisher and I looked at back in episode 25. And it's interesting that this story comes up now, shortly after covering that, but I'm glad it was so I could you know, be able to share the backstory to that museum model while, uh, while it's still fresh in everyone's minds. But this part here... It, it's not bad, but it does reek of Mort Weisinger, even though Mort Weisinger had nothing to do with this book. Um, We just have page after page of Batman causing problems when, you know, people tell him to do whatever because that was the part of the spell he was under, and then Superman has to follow along and clean up the messes. It does provide for some nice action and a chance for Superman to show off and a little bit of, um, I guess, comedy or, or humor for the kids, but, and again, it, it, it isn't bad, and it doesn't feel like wasted space, but it just, it does feel somewhat like padding, and I can't help but wonder if there might not have been a better use for this space, which actually goes well into my next note, because one place they could have used that extra space is maybe to expand the Superman and Batman fight in what is ostensibly the, the third act of the story because it was pretty freaking amazing. When people criticize Kurt Swan by saying he couldn't draw action, clearly they haven't got pages like page 11 of this story in mind because despite being very compressed, he packs a lot of wallop into this fight. Um, and to be honest, I've read a lot of Kurt Swan stories, and this isn't even the best action scene that I've seen him draw. So there you go. Overall, though, yeah, I, I, I definitely give this one a thumbs up. Um, it wasn't anything extremely special, but given when it was published and the types of stories in the book at this time, this one stands out, uh, despite the minor flaws that it has and, and my feeling that the... That the uh, the revelation or the the very, very end of the story was a little bit weak. Um, if you're going to pit Superman and Batman against one another, this is a good way to approach it as any, I think, um, especially in the context of the era when it was uh, when it was written. But I can see this story also with just a few tweaks working well as an episode of the now-canceled Batman the Brave and the Bold cartoon. And in fact, it's in, in at least – some ways similar to uh, at least a very basic premise of the story we did get when, uh, when Superman appeared on that show. Just here we have Batman being the one who, who had gone rogue rather than Superman on the show. Uh, but that's really all I had to say about it. You know, a, a strong story, little minor nitpicks here and there, but overall, pretty good. So now we're going to take a quick break, play a couple promos and then we'll be back for a look at the rest of the issue and what else was on the stands.
1: My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called News from Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox: A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromalongbox.com.
2: Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that.
3: Good afternoon.
2: Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you?
3: My name is Dufo DiManzo, and where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you, an offer that you should not refuse.
2: Uh, oh, okay, what is it?
3: I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it.
2: Oh, well, that sounds great! What do I need to do?
3: You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh,
2: oh, okay, cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week.
3: Bravo. 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 God!
2: How the hell did you find me, and uh, how did you get in my house? Do not
3: worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast. And I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me.
2: Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me.
3: That is true. So let me restate it now.
2: Wait, what?
3: I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering a podcast such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks Network, and in return, our debt will be settled.
2: Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt?
3: Do you accept my offer?
2: Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show, finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli?
3: Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the
2: tubes. Come check it out, you know out Just of One of the Guys you know. every Friday at 2
0: If you'd like to read this, it's been reprinted four times. First in Batman Annual number no. 5 from 1963, and then it's received a trio of modern reprints in World's Finest Archives Volume 3. Showcase presents World's Finest Volume 1 and Batman Annuals Volume 2 hardcover, which was a reprint of the Batman Annuals from the 1960s. All of which were reprints to begin with. So they're reprinting reprints, which is odd, but cool. But still odd. If you want to hear another podcaster's take on it, check out episode 301 of the Superman Fan Podcast hosted by Billy Hogan. Now, as I record this, that episode hasn't been released yet, but it is the next book on Billy's agenda. So even if it isn't out by the time you hear this, keep an eye on Billy's show, because it will be coming your way really soon. Other features in the book include a seven-page Tommy Tomorrow story illustrated by the great Jim Mooney, titled The Amazing Asteroid Hideout, and a six-page Green Arrow story by Franz Herron and Lee Elias, titled Prisoners of the Giant Bubble. The issue also has a couple gag strips, um, a text story, and really nothing to talk about ad-wise, which is odd because almost always there's at least one thing that catches my eye, Uh, even if only to say, ooh, that was neat. But the uh, the closest thing we have this month is a quarter-page filler ad that plugs this month's Batman books. But instead of talking about those, let's go ahead and dive on into what is a tradition here on the show. And that's to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands this month. And we've got quite a selection on the old spinner rack, even if the ones catching my eye do seem to be mostly Superman related. First up is Action Comics number 263 and... 264, because there were two issues out this month, it seems. And those issues are a two-part story where Superman ends up on Bizarro World and is sentenced to prison for breaking the Bizarro Code. Bizarro Michael, am not a fan. The backup story in both issues is a Supergirl story, of course, and Mike's notes that the one in 263 is a story where Supergirl first uses a robot duplicate of Linda Lee, stored inside a hollowed out tree near Midvale Orphanage. Next up is what is to me the most important issue of the month and and a key issue for the Silver Age of not just Superman but comics as a whole. Adventure Comics number 271 containing the story How Luthor Met Superboy a classic Jerry Siegel written story that reveals how a young Lex Luthor met the Boy of Steel, and how Luthor permanently lost his hair, and later vowed revenge on Superboy, becoming his mortal enemy. Definitely a watershed moment for all characters involved. But as big as that is, we've got another big book next to it, with Brave and the Bold, number 29, featuring the second appearance of the Justice League of America, as they take on Zotar the Weapons Master. Neither Superman nor Batman play a huge role in the story, but it is a timely intervention of Superman, thanks to the efforts of Batman and Snapper Carr, that ultimately saves the day. Batman and Robin take on a scientist who accidentally turns himself into a giant in Detective Comics number 278, and speaking of giants, the completely awesome Adam Strange confronts a giant version of himself in The Duel of Two Adam Stranges, From Mystery in Space, number 59. Moving ahead, we have Pat Boone, number 5. Surprisingly, the final issue in Pat Boone's solo series. He does, however, return a few years down the road in The Dark Boone Returns and Mad Pat Beyond Boonderdome. Superman, number 137, has a crazy but entertaining story where it's revealed that when... Kalel's rocket traveled to Earth. It collided with a ship that caused a duplicate of the rocket to be created. That rocket also landed on Earth, and the baby inside was discovered and raised by criminals. I'm not going to spoil the end for you. You'll have to check it out for yourself. But as I said, it's a really weird story, but a fun Silver Age kind of weird. But the last thing I see is Superman's girlfriend number 17, Superman's Girlfriend? Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 17, where the cover feature plugs a story where Superman gives Lois Lane and Lana Lang superpowers via blood transfusions in order to thwart Brainiac. And then another story in the book details how Lois Lane got her job at the Daily Planet. So not only was it a month where Superman was just seemingly handing out superpowers for free but DC was exploring a lot of untold moments in the backstory of the Superman family characters. But that's it for me this episode. As always, I want to thank you all very much for joining me. Next time, we are going to kick off a special series of episodes that will carry the show pretty much through the end of the year. Starting with episode 29, we're going to spend several episodes looking at Batman and Superman... World's Finest, which was a 10-issue miniseries that chronicles the first 10 years of Batman's and Superman's relationship in the post-crisis universe. As someone who came heavy into comics with the post-crisis incarnation of the characters, this is something that I'm really looking forward to covering it uh, more in depth. Um, It hits many of the biggest moments in the lives of both characters, and compares and contrasts their personalities and explores how their relationship changes throughout the years or or along the way. And it will also be this show's first real trip into the post-crisis versions of the characters. So I really hope you'll be joining me for that. Until then, though, once again, thank you very much for listening. As always, be sure to email in your thoughts. You can send your emails to michael at greatcrypton.com Or you can leave comments on the website at greatcrypton.com. I really do love hearing from listeners, especially my listeners, because you're all awesome. Uh, And Plus, it would be kind of weird to hear from listeners of other podcasts if they're not listening to this podcast. But anyway, that's it for me, though. Thank you very much once more, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to Michael at GreatCrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at GreatCrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed. That you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Siegel where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening, and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together The music that closed out this episode was The Wizard by Black Sabbath from their 1970 self-titled debut album. Want to feel old? Meet someone to whom you have to explain that, yes, there was a time when Ozzy Osbourne wasn't known as a reality star. That happened to me recently. It wasn't pleasant. Still, if it happens to you, why not make yourself feel better by spending money? And if you're going to spend money... Why not do it at Amazon? And if you're going to spend money on Amazon, why not click the link at 2 True Freaks? Anything you buy at Amazon after clicking the link, whether it be a Black Sabbath CD, or complete season sets of the Osbournes to burn an effigy, or even a cane to shake when you yell at the kids to get off your lawn, sends a little kickback to the folks at 2 True Freaks. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help support a great group of podcasts none of which are produced by people who have bitten the heads off of bats. I think.